Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartinized. Today's episode, Healthy Care. All of the presidential candidates, all 496 of them, are chanting the mantra, healthcare reform, healthcare reform. Even the goober-in-chief is making noise about it. And the solution, they all insist, is more government involvement. I have just one word for those who still think government healthcare is a good idea. Katrina. The levies are the kind of health care you'd get before you're sick. The quality of preventive maintenance that you can expect. The way you'd be prepared for something medically bad on the horizon would be the Ray Nagin Memorial Bus Pool, which was literally a pool full of buses. Millions of dollars worth of buses were ruined because of his incompetence. Not only could the vehicles have been saved, but every one of them could have evacuated dozens of black people or white people or hundreds of Mexicans. Instead, they just sat there and got destroyed. And the people of New Orleans punished Nagin's incompetence by electing him again. Your health care after you get sick would be the Superdome. And at your funeral, the head bureaucrat will commend the man in charge, saying things like, Brownie, you've done a hell of a job. Is this what you want for your health care? There's got to be a better answer, don't you think? None of the government weasels will figure out the right answer because, as usual, they're asking the wrong question. Our medical system works really well, except for two problems. It takes too long for advances to get to the market, and it costs way too much. So the question shouldn't be, how can we reform medicine? It should be, what can we do to make it less expensive and make advances available quicker? I don't know about you folks, but I have never, ever heard anybody say, Well, we have a problem here. We need to make our goods and services available faster and cheaper and with less bureaucracy. Let's get the government involved. That'll fix it. See, as usual, the answer isn't more government. It's less government. It's reducing the amount of government we already have. One huge problem with medical expenses is scum-sucking bottom feeders, enriching themselves by suing doctors for a living. If you've ever watched daytime TV... You've seen the ads during every single commercial break. If anything is even slightly wrong with you, you can blame a doctor and get rich. Call the law offices of Nasty, Brutish, and Short for a free consultation. There's no risk to you or to us, so why not cash in on your misfortune, real or imagined? That's Nasty, Brutish, and Short, suing people since 1973. As a result of these leeches attaching themselves to the system, many doctors are paying well over $100,000 a year for malpractice insurance, and that's for new doctors with no marks against them. Every office visit you make has to pay for a piece of that. In addition, the proliferation of scum suckers forces doctors to practice defensive medicine, and a lot of times that can be expensive. For instance, let's say you go to the doctor, you've got a skin condition, and he looks at it and he's 98% confident that you've got the creeping crud. You've got the symptoms, your medical history fits with it, all evidence points to the creeping crud. But there's a 2% chance that instead you've got a fungus among us. 
Without the scum suckers breathing down his neck, your doctor would treat you for the crud and you'd be well in a week. But in today's climate, he's got to order the $2,000 fungus amongus test just to be sure, just to cover his ass. The solution to this would be fairly simple. Our tort system needs to be changed to loser pays, especially, or maybe only, for the defendants. The cost of fighting a lawsuit is so high it's usually cheaper to pay off the bottom feeders to make them go away. But that's only a temporary fix, and they'll be back for more vigorish in a week or two. A better solution would be to make them pay, or make their clients pay, if the suit loses. In fact, I'd add a 10% surcharge for the defendant just for the hassle the bottom feeder put them through. And finally, we should make class action lawsuits opt-in instead of opt-out. Not only would that reduce medical costs, but that would reduce costs for every single thing that you buy. And it would make it a lot more difficult for scum-sucking bottom feeders to make millions while getting each one of their, quote, clients, unquote, a $5 coupon. Of course, like most workable solutions, this is about as likely as quick hits being performed live at Carnegie Hall because we're a government of lawyers, by the lawyers, for the lawyers, and American citizens stupidly keep electing lawyers to office. But that's just one of the problems created by government. A bigger one, perhaps the very biggest one, is the FDA. Any medical device, drug, or anything else, even remotely related to medicine, has to be approved by the FDA. And this is a process that always costs millions, sometimes costs hundreds of millions, and sometimes close to a billion dollars. And even worse... The process usually takes 10, maybe 15 years. And that only leaves the manufacturer a few years left on their patent to make their profit. Compare medical technology to computer technology. Computers get more powerful and cheaper on a daily basis. If you buy the most powerful PC in the world, it's very difficult to get it out of the box and on your desk before there's another more powerful, less expensive model available. Why is that? Well, it's because there's virtually no regulations on computers. So we keep getting better, faster, cheaper ones. Now I'm going to toss out an idea that may seem completely wacko. But think about it for a few minutes before dismissing it entirely. What would happen if we got rid of the FDA? Hard to imagine, isn't it? Because we're so used to it being around. But imagine life without it. Medical devices and drugs would be on the shelves much, much faster. They would also be more risky, so how could we handle that? And before you answer that, consider the FDA's record when it comes to safety for drugs and medical devices. How about we have third-party laboratories that would test things? They would certify drugs and medical devices. You'd have competing labs, and every time they made a certification, their reputation would be on the line. And since their reputation is really the only thing they'd have to sell, they'd be much more careful than the FDA. If a lab approved something that turned out to be dangerous, their seal of approval wouldn't be worth a whole lot. And if they did it a few times, it would be meaningless, and they'd be out of business. The FDA, on the other hand, stays in business no matter how badly it screws up. As consumers, we'd have to be more careful. We'd have to spend more time with our doctors and our pharmacists to make the right decisions, and we'd probably get better medical care as a result. Of course, some people wouldn't bother. they just treat themselves, and some would make good solid decisions, but others would make disastrous ones. But that would help thin the herd, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And a third thing that we need to do, and this is not a government thing, 
we need to change our own attitudes about medical care. It is not, and it cannot be a right. Most rights are simply leaving people alone, and they can never involve forcing one person to provide for another. You don't have a right to groceries, you don't have a right to a roof over your head, and you certainly don't have a right to medical care. So we need to get away from that ridiculous idea, the idea that medical care should be free and available for everybody. And we need to think about it like we think about fixing our cars. It's a recurring expense that we have to cover, and insurance is there for outrageous expenses if something goes horribly wrong. And I've run into this in my own life. My daughter had a problem with her shoulder and she kept putting off going to the doctor and putting it off and putting it off because it was going to cost 90 bucks and she didn't have the insurance. And I was like, wait a second, you just spent $300 getting your car fixed and didn't bat an eye. You've got to be willing to spend at least that much getting yourself fixed. And I also think having insurance for everything is part of the problem. I have, uh, I'm not sure how you say it, Roatia, Roatia, it's a condition that makes my face really red. It makes me look like an alcoholic. Now, I'm thinking about becoming an alcoholic when I retire, but I don't have time for that now. And having the look without doing the drinking is cheating. So I've got this bottle of goo, a, a lotion, it's called Metro Lotion, that's supposed to fix it. It's a two-ounce bottle, and it, it does help reduce the effect somewhat. This little two-ounce bottle cost me a copay of $15. The real price was $86, but my insurance paid the rest. Now, if I had to fork out the entire $86, I'd have probably said, eh, you know, that's okay, I'm going to go find something a little cheaper. And if enough people did that, the drug company would have to lower their price to something more reasonable. We're running a little short on time here, trying to keep this within 10 minutes for the primary part of the show. Two things I want to run by you real quick. One is something from the Wall Street Journal that a friend of mine sent me about the Better Healthcare Together campaign. It's AT&T and Intel and Kelly Services and Walmart and a bunch of other people all getting together and trying to get the government to supply more government healthcare because they're sick of paying through the nose for it. And so, my friends, we may end up, no matter what, stuck with socialist healthcare because the major companies who own Congress want it. And Congress usually gives them what they want. And to give us an idea of what that means for us, we can take a look at socialized health care in other parts of the world. We're always told, oh, all the great countries have socialized health care. Well, it turns out that in England, delays in bowel cancer treatment are so great that in one out of five cases, 20% of the cases, cancer that was curable at the time of diagnosis is incurable by the time of treatment. And in Canada... Their national health care system is so bad that there's a, a company out there called the Fraser Institute that has a yearly publication called Waiting Your Turn. And in the 2006 edition, it gives waiting times by treatments from a person's referral by a general practitioner to the time they get treated by a specialist. Now, bear in mind, you've got to wait several weeks before you get to see the general doctor, and then you wait to see the specialist. The shortest time was for oncology. If you've got cancer, yes. That's only 4.9 weeks, five weeks for can to start cancer treatment. The longest waiting time is for orthopedic surgery, 40.3 weeks. Now that's just to see a specialist. That's not to actually get the work done. Plastic surgery is 35.4 weeks and neurosurgery, generally neurosurgery, you want it done real quick, 31.7 weeks to see the doctor. You still think socialized medicine is a good idea? I don't know. For me, it conjures up pictures of doctors that 
Give us the speed of the post office, the safety of Amtrak, the science capabilities of the EPA, the cost efficiencies of the Pentagon, and the thoroughness of FEMA, all wrapped up in the compassion of the IRS. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just see a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. So it's the first show after a hiatus of about a month. I thank you all for the encouraging email that everyone sent in. Well, not everyone. I didn't get one for every download that I get, but got quite a few people saying, oh man, glad to see you getting a job, but come on back to us. And here I am. So I'm getting settled in on the new job, fat and happy. And boy, I tell you, did I get lots and lots and lots of email over the global warming shows, the two of them that I did. And most all of them were saying, look, here's some more evidence that it's bogus. Uh, Only one or two people were, hey, you know, this is a really real serious thing and we need to start riding bicycles. Uh, Most of you saw through that. Two of the things that really struck me, one and a couple people sent me information on this, was the famous hockey stick that we see that shows all this nice level temperature and then a big bolt in the last century. And it turns out that that particular graph is grossly dishonest and there really should be a huge lump around the 1400s. It was actually about six degrees higher than it is today. And the UN actually had conferences on how are we going to deal with this? How can we handle this? And they did it the way that they normally handle numbers. They simply lied about it and left that out of the equation. Because if you put that in, the jolt that we've got in the past century, looks really, really tiny. It's it's hard to see without a microscope. Got to remember, folks, back then, Greenland was green. The Vikings were milking yaks on it. The other articles were about uh, finding that uh, the wonderful ecological dude, Al Gore, spends more than 20 times the average energy bill on one of his three houses. Let me repeat that. Al Gore spends more than 20 times the standard energy bill on one of his three houses. And that's not counting his jet setting or his other houses or his vehicles or anything else. Between the last few shows, another one of my projects, a podcast, Peer Awards, came to fruition we had uh, our second round of awards if you go to podcastpeers.org and check it out go to the winners page and you will see all kinds of really good shows some of which you've probably never heard of before some of which are going to be pretty familiar to you check them out they're all the best of the best as chosen by their fellow podcasters and in a related note I did an interview with a woman from USA Today about a week and a half ago for part of a story that she was doing about the popularity of educational podcasts, especially podcasts about weird little things that uh, aren't very mainstream and how popular some of those shows are. And that article was in USA Today yesterday featuring, uh, well, I can't say featuring, but it mentioned the podcast Peer Awards in it twice. 
So I'm proud to say that yesterday the PPA was in USA Day. Hooray! You can find a link to that in the show notes, of course. You know the deal. You go to DaveHit.com, spelled with two T's. You select podcasts from the right-hand column and head on to that little subboard, and you'll find all that stuff there. You'll also find my email address all over the place, so you can write. You can also call if you're more the mouthy type at 206-203-4488. That's 206-203-HIT. And if you make it clever and pithy enough, it may end up in the closing comments. And that is finally the end of the Quick Hits Podcast. Never forget that this show is little more than one man's opinion and therefore should never be taken too seriously. Seriously.